business do you want with me? Much. Who are you, sir? Ask me who I was. Very well. Who were you, then? In life, I was your partner. Jacob Marley. Can you sit down? I can. We'll do it, then. believe in me. I don't. Why do you doubt your senses? Because little things upset them. An upset stomach and put them quite out of order. You could be a crumb of moldy cheese. An underdone turnip. Moldy cheese? An underdone turnip? Oh, some British beef. That could be mighty upsetting to the stomach. There's more gravy than grave about you, Jacob. It's the most wonderful time of the year, by which I mean, of course, it's time for a holiday-themed liquid flannel. From Arlington, Texas, I'm Matthew Hodges, joined by my very cheery and festive co-host in Omaha, Nebraska, Brendan Williams. Brendan, how's it going? It's going good, man. Podcasting. Let's do this. Podcasting. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's now a Christmas tradition. It's it's a it's an every week <laughs> a tradition. holiday tradition. A holiday tradition. Every every week is a holiday with us. Well, <clears throat> I say that it's it's very festive and jolly, but of course there are some some darker undertones to certain Christmas myths. And so we have for you a special guest, a, a returning friend to the show, the Lit Crit guy, John. Happy holidays. Hey, hey, good to be back on the show. Last time was so much fun, I thought I'd drop by and do it again. Yeah, excellent. Well, I assume that you have interests other than horror things, but you are our resident horror expert, so I, I thought this I've, might I've work. I've always wanted to be the resident horror expert somewhere, so I am. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Emeritus. Yeah, we'll, we'll, have a, we'll have a card drawn up for you. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, John, uh, you're you're coming to us from England and Merry Old uh, England. Yeah, and England has some uh, some decent history with kind of spooky Christmas stuff. I mean, you you can't talk about Christmas without a Christmas Carol, of course. Charles Dickens Dickenses, but how do you pluralize that? Or, <laughs> anyway, Dickensian, the, the 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 Dickensian ghost story yeah. about Charles Dickens' Dickensian tale. How does he do it? Dickensian was his middle name, Charles Dickensian. <laughs> Dix- that, that is one hundred percent true. That is a hundred percent factually true. <laughs> well, I wanted to start off uh, before we dig into the film we've all we've all watched, and we're gonna pick apart a little bit. Uh, I wanted to talk about just the. <clears throat> I wanted to talk about 
generally how Christmas is it, this kind of interesting dichotomy between, you know, warm firelight and uh, bowls of punch and presents around the tree. And then you also have like ghost stories. And I mean, by one analysis, one of the main Christmas stories is about a strange man who breaks into your house. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, uh, there's a there's a good deal of like ghost stories is a very 19th century tradition for, for Christmas time. And we should, as a kind of uh, gothic Marxist, I am all for ghost stories at Christmas time because uh, it essentially is about terrifying the rich into being less shitty with their money. Like, that's, that's great, yeah. That's what a we, Christmas which Carol we, is all about, right? Yeah, which is what we should be doing, but uh, our our rich conservatives are so sensitive at this point that you can't say boo to them when they're out yeah. eating tapas. Uh, much less like show up in their chambers multiple times in a night and scare and tell, the bejesus out of and, them and tell them that unless they stop being shitty people they're going to go to hell and right. they'll, and they'll deserve it yeah which is which is interesting you would think that uh conservatives would be more prone uh to to that kind of appeal that kind of emotional appeal because they're the ones who theoretically believe in hell oh yeah totally and also it kind of ties into the whole thing of like uh, end of the year, winter is the season of death, right? That's the season where uh, everything sort of dies away. So it's no surprise that the Victorians liked a good ghost story because what else are you going to do when it's dark by three o'clock in this country right now? Uh, <laughs> like, Man. You, you can't go out. There is, there is nothing to do except uh, sit indoors and tell spooky stories to pass the time. Yeah, presumably in uh, like dark paneled rooms with a big hearth burning and um you have bed curtains right i i i'm i've been made to understand that that all british people have bed curtains which are kind of spooky in and of themselves yeah i mean it's well known that britain hasn't really moved on since about 1853 so it's it's yeah government mandated that you wear that like long stocking cap oh yeah yeah with the little puff ball on it i mean that is the government issued sleeping garment i'm I'm wearing it right now Uh, so cozy you don't know that i'm not because i turned off the webcam (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i actually kind of like that tradition as somebody who's been steadily losing his hair since he was about 25 like it's it's kind of nice to have something you know on the dome to keep you warm at night yeah but like this is this is something that is uh, maybe seeing a bit of a comeback i mean famously one of the best practitioners of the ghost story is mr james he was a, an oxford don and so what would happen is every christmas eve there would be uh, a service at the chapel of the college that he was the master of and then everyone would go back to his place for drinks and then at midnight he would turn off all of the lights except for one lamp and he would read them a ghost story and that's the way you close the party like that's that's how you end a party oh that's great yeah yeah incredibly incredibly gothic feeling too i mean you you talked a little bit the last time you were on about kind of what makes up the genre of gothic and part of it is the kind of enclosed spaces you know, yeah, um, yeah, and and hist- oh. and history coming back in, right? History coming mm-hmm. back into it. So you're trapped at home when the weather is bad. All you've got to do, all you've got left to do, is think over the last twelve months. You know, all of your regrets, all of the things that maybe you're not so proud of. They they kind of creep into the dark corners of your mind a little bit. 
Man, that is grim. Well, yeah, and uh, <laughs> and, and then the and Krampus you see comes and gets you. you <laughs> yeah, know? when when the Krampus comes to get you, that's right. Yeah, we we didn't end up watching the movie The Krampus or whatever it's called. Um, but I mean, that's that's part of a lot of people's Christmas lore. That in addition to the jolly old elf Saint Nick bringing you presents, there's also this like horrible beast, this hairy, uh, like long gorilla armed thing that'll come and beat you with switches. If you've been bad, who also, I guess, gets to ride in the sleigh? Yeah, I'm. I uh, I'm kind of fascinated by that Christmas tradition because, like, the 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 myth of jolly old Saint Nick is based off uh, Saint Nicholas, the gift giver. You know, this Christian uh, saint who gives out gifts to good children. But like, we all know, like, there's a kind of intuitive attraction of dualism. So like, if there is if there is someone who's there to kind of reward you when you've been good, we know, right, that there is someone there who is gonna gonna punish you like you'll be found out and we know most of us that we're probably not that good (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) yeah and uh it's interesting how that's transmuted over time to uh americans definitely don't celebrate the tradition of the krampus uh it's just you might get coal in your stocking if you've been naughty this year um but that's always seemed kind of odd to me because when that tradition came about of either you get presents or you get coal it seems like coal would have been a decent present, that right? Been, I mean, that, that would have been useful, right? That would have been super useful. useful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a there's another tradition uh, which is uh, Percher, who is sort of like this mythical figure from sort of East Germany and um, that area of Europe. Uh, and this isn't it, is is he related to the one that everyone gets in trouble for every year? The uh, it's like Black Peter, where he comes out in like blackface. Oh no! And the that's weird, like in Holland, that's, right? That's the Dutch, and that is super racist so yeah <laughs> uh, Percha is uh, her nickname is the belly slitter uh, she's a witch uh, <laughs> Jesus and, and this, <laughs> right, this gets dark right this gets dark. this is festive um, and so it's like if you're a kid and you've been naughty like Percha is gonna come and with a long fingernail is gonna split your belly open and stuff you with straw that's how you get your kids to behave. Awesome. Yeah. You thought Elf on the Shelf was creepy, man. They're taking it to a whole nother level. It, it is funny that nowadays the the Elf on the Shelf, like, it has to be all about the surveillance state. You know, that's the modern aspect of Christmas that everyone is focused on is like, yo, you're being watched all the time. Yeah, yeah well, it's, so that's, and that's there been, could be elves anywhere. That's been going on since before Elf on a Shelf became a cultural touchstone because, I mean, Santa Claus sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. It's an incredibly dark song. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, it's basically a, a kind of admission of uh, cons- like it's the panopticon, right? You want the good stuff, you bet. You bet. You better fucking do what you're told, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I-, I like to take it back. Have you guys seen that old the the classic like stop motion animation uh, film? Is like the Rudolph one. Yeah, but they did another one that's like about the Santa origin. Yeah, Santa Claus is coming to town. Yeah, with Burger Meister Meisterburger, who's literally like. He's like a World War One fascist, what? and he rules the town with an iron fist and has outlawed toys. And Santa's like taking up the Antifa crusade of <laughs> like leading the revolution. It's amazing. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty fantastic. There is something I find really unsettling about all of those old stop motion animation uh, movies, though. Um, very oh, much yeah. uh, kind of that the feeling of like toys coming to life 
and how they move all weird and jerky and um, almost like a like an Asian horror trope, you know, where the the camera kind of sputters and like all of a sudden the thing is way closer than you thought it was. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. The old uh, Rudolph one. I mean, if you go back and watch it, uh, first of all, Santa Claus is just the biggest asshole in that. <laughs> Absolutely. And he literally is like. What's up with that reindeer? He's a freak and stuff. <laughs> He's like, you'll never work in my sleigh. Get this, get this guy out of my sight. Uh, and you're like, whoa, Santa, maybe, uh, maybe tone it down a bit, man. <laughs> it's it's kind of hard to tell a story about Santa without something creepy, kind of working in at the edges. Like uh, there was the the Tim Allen, uh, oh, the yeah. Santa Claus, right? Which is about the guy who accidentally becomes Santa. But it starts off with him murdering Santa. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. they barely mention. Um, they, they kind of insinuate, like, oh, this happens all the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, this again, this guy again? Oh, yeah. my God. Well, and at the end of the movie, uh, you know, the, the kid, so Tim Allen's divorced, and he's splitting custody uh, with his ex-wife, who's now married to Judge Reinhold, who shows up in the movie we're going to talk about in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... At the end of the movie, finally, everything is resolved, and uh, Judge Reinhold says, I think you'd make a really good psychiatrist, and he goes, no, I'm thinking about going into the family business, which, by yeah. which he means I, I want to like be involved with Christmas, but taken literally, I think he's saying... I'm going to murder my dad. Yeah, there could be only one. <laughs> uh, yeah, being Santa Claus is sort of like being a Highlander. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I can't wait for Santa Claus 4 or whatever uh, when that finally comes to fruition, uh, you know. Santa Claus' <laughs> battle to the, the death against his own son coming to usurp him. But man, have you guys seen the second one where Tim Allen makes... Again, a lot of fascism in these movies. Tim Allen makes like a robot Santa oh, that's right. to like do his job for him while he has to go find a wife, Wait, what? Uh, which is really creepy. And so he makes a robot Santa who, again, becomes a total like militaristic Nazi uh, and like slave drives all the elves and stuff. It's it's nuts. And they have to fight him at the end. Yeah, it's bizarre. In fact, uh, I think that Santa is the same Santa from Futurama. Um, uh, robot <laughs> totally. Santa who shows up and just shoots missiles at everybody. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of interesting um, the way that horror kind of creeps in 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 weird ways. I was thinking about the movie "It's a Wonderful Life," which is a great film. wasn't well received when it first came out, and the reason everybody knows it as a Christmas standard now is because the distribution rights were super cheap because nobody liked it. So then everybody grew up watching it, and now it's one of those uh, Christmas standards. But that's a movie about a man committing suicide. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I think we have this sort of really sanitized idea of Christmas, but, like, you know, it, it, there's all, you. one of the interesting things is, like, there we kind of construct these cultural narratives which are supposed to make it a sort of safe and wholesome and amazing time. But like Halloween, it's a chance to actually explore the kind of weirdness and the, the, the kind of uh, strangeness of our existence in a way that's kind of safe. You were talking about dolls earlier and like this kind of myth of like dolls coming to life. It's totally uh, Freudian uncanny, right? There's something in there which shouldn't be. Yeah. So yeah, like- there's a there, there's a, an old movie. It was a made-for-TV one, and it's one of my sister's favorites, which will tell you a lot about my sister, called A Mom for Christmas, where a little girl makes a <laughs> wish that she has a mom, 
and a store mannequin at the department store comes to life. What? And then, yeah, and then it's kind of like, uh, whatever that movie was, Splash, right? Where, like, it, it's like a fish out of water story where, yeah, like, this yeah, mannequin yeah. is walking around trying to, like, be mom for Christmas. But if dad doesn't fall in love with her by midnight on Christmas oh Eve, she turns back into a mannequin, and this keeps happening, oh. like... This That's weird awkward. body horror thing where she looks down at her arm and it's just like a plastic mannequin arm again. That's so genuinely horrifying. But like, that's, yeah, it's it's bizarre. But that's this great uh, exposure of something, right? That, that we're caught between this notion that Christmas is a time where you get what you want, right? You get you get the things that you want, but really, what we want is not material possessions. You can't buy what you actually want, and so you have to have this kind of like. Uh, sort of weird magic, this weird, weird, weird kind of inexplicable events to bring you what you want to make sense of existence. You right. can't buy it, can you? You can't purchase that, but we're told that you can. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and you you mentioned that, and so it, it seems kind of odd to me that part of the the nativity, the traditional nativity, is the three kings or the three wise men coming and like starting off the tradition of Christmas gift bringing. Not that like an infant is going to have any use for, uh, what would they bring him like embalming fluid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like those gifts are kind of symbolically meaningful, right? They're not, they're not, they don't have any kind of utility, uh, which in a way is kind of what makes them gifts, right? If somebody gives you something that you need and something that you want, you, you maybe kind of uh, could just buy that for yourself. But gifts, gifts are kind of sort of, in a way, sort of amazingly useless because they, they they don't sort of function within the logic of capitalism, right? Yeah. Because if you if you give somebody money for it, or if you give them anything, it's not really a gift anymore. Uh, so it's one of the ways I I kind of I'm I'm maybe a sort of naive romantic when it comes to Christmas, but I I love it. I love this time of year because it is weird. It is a little bit spooky, but it is also a time. It's a space that exists out, like, despite the blatant and vicious attempts to commercialize it, it sort of does exist outside of it. It resists commodification, even as we're told constantly that the way to do Christmas is you buy, buy, buy. Huh, yeah, that's that's interesting. You're right. Um, you also kind of reminded me of uh, Carl Pilkington, who is a <laughs> just a tremendous idiot who used to work with Ricky Gervais a lot, and... Um, his, his perspective on, you know, around Christmas or on birthdays or whatever they say, you know, get them something they wouldn't buy for themselves, which Carl Pilkington in true Pilkintonian fashion interprets literally and goes like, well, no, I'd rather buy them something that they would buy themselves. Cause one time I got a sweater from my aunt that was just a picture of her on a sweater. Like I would, <laughs> I would never buy that for myself. Uh, <laughs> Um, but but yeah, thing, no, it's, 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 it's interesting. Uh, so uh, I, I want to talk just briefly, just as an aside about, uh, in England, you have the tradition of boxing day, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the idea, the way that I've had this described to me is, um, basically all of the servants would be working on Christmas day. And so they didn't get to celebrate Christmas. So then there was boxing day which was where the rich people gave gifts to their servants and gave them the day off. Is that not right? Oh, I thought it was where they cleaned up all the boxes that the rich people left the day <laughs> <Right>. before. <laughs> um, I mean, that might be part of its history, but I mean, at the moment, what it is, is it's the day that you do do literally nothing. 
um it's like <laughs> it's just it's just one more kind of day to celebrate um but yeah it originated in the uk uh, and it spread uh, you know all over the uh uh all over the commonwealth uh thanks to that uh nasty habit of colonizing most of the world that brits used to have <laughs> Hey, um, it was all just to share Boxing Day, you know. They were just doing it out of the goodness of their heart. I believe there were a couple of other priorities as well, but let's, <laughs> let's, not, let's not wander off down into that path, right? But it's but that's a way of kind of both reinforcing class structures, right? You go, well, out of the goodness of our heart, we're going to give you the day off, and we're going to kind of symbolically give up our authority by giving you this uh, Christmas box that you get to unwrap and enjoy. Uh, so it's a way of kind of going, yeah, we're still in charge of you, but like we can afford to kind of take the boot off your collective necks for a day. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's so heartwarming. Yeah, the true, the true Christmas miracle. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. So I'm surprised uh, they haven't remade like a uh, a Christmas Carol with like a super like Rush Limbaugh type of War on Christmas guy who uh, you know gets to to go back and and relive the real meaning of christmas well, well didn't is they isn't a it it's, uprising it's scrooged right i mean it's it's i guess built... the, the 80s one yeah right. we're still living it today <laughs> uh i mean well, come on you're you're the the scrooge figure has become president of the united states like <laughs> oh he's a jolly old elf <laughs> He's so full of Christmas joy. Do you think he has ever once in his life picked out a gift for somebody else? Did you hear his, no. his son? His no. son was like, somebody got him like a monogrammed something. And then he re-gifted it to me, like not remembering that like I saw him receive that and be like, what a piece of shit. <laughs> and then he like gave it to his own son. And he was like, look at this. I, this worked out because it's the same initials. Cha-ching. That's a heartwarming tale from from Don Jr. Yeah, I, I mean, I I think like being being Donald Trump must be bad, but like being Donald Trump Jr. must be like a special kind of hell. <laughs> oh man, and you see it come out. He seems like he's having a rough time. You see it come out in all sorts of weird ways. That almost everything he does is like, maybe this year for Christmas, Dad will finally approve of like a single thing that I've yeah. ever done in my entire life. And, and he'll and finally he make will. me chief of staff. And he never will. It will never. Because he, like, Donnie Jr. is just very, like, middle-aged guy going through a divorce right now. Like, that's all I can think yep. of when I look at him. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and... It, He's so relatable. On, on the Christmas <laughs> theme, uh, it, it, you have a lot of these stories of... Uh, like loss and longing and uh, we just watched there's a netflix movie with um kurt russell playing cranky santa called the christmas oh, chronicles yeah. which was actually really good i was i was really pleased about it uh it, it's just it's just a delightful film but it incorporates that trope of uh like dead father and the like the son is kind of acting out now and on on his way down a a hole of being a criminal because all he wants to do is like hear his dad say that I'm proud of you, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and you have a lot of these movies like, uh, you know, the Santa Claus involves a broken family. Like they go to family court and Tim Allen has his, his custody taken away because he's gone off the deep end and he's like pretending to be Santa Claus. Uh, there was that movie Prancer, which is about, a family on the skids who somehow, I don't remember how they end up with one of Santa's reindeer, but, um, Wait, what? 
Oh, you haven't seen Prancer? I am. I am. This is an education. <laughs> oh, Prancer's a classic. Yeah, he like he like he like hurts his leg or something, and then like has to recuperate on the farm, uh, on the struggling family farm. Uh, and she has to nurse the reindeer back to health, and no one believes her that it's magical. But she believes it. Yeah, and uh, but but throughout, I mean, she's she's having to scrimp and save because their family is like they're just about to lose their house, and all of a sudden they have this animal that they have to take care of. Um, yeah, it, a bunch of really dark stuff. I think you're right, John. That um, maybe that's it. Maybe that we're all we're all so inside during this this time of the year. I want to. Are the Australians as grim during Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> hitting the beach yeah right yeah. i mean they're, they're all outside like sitting around in the more, sun it's a bit difficult to be that kind of like melancholic and existential and introspective when you know it's 30 degrees outside and in december you can go to the beach and surf like <laughs> <laughs> right yeah or you can surf downtown where there's like a catastrophic flood yeah. from climate change you know one of those two things uh I mean, like, you have to have a kind of certain environment if you're going to get, like, introspective and bleak, uh, which is why the Gothic sort of originates in uh, in England, Western Europe, and then kind of migrates all over the world. Yeah. Um, taking on That's the- why Americans like to go to Disneyland for Christmas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And it's- <laughs> none, of, none of that introspection nonsense. A lot, these, a lot of these Christmas films that uh, you're telling me about, they sound like they're kind of like slightly schmaltzy and and sentimental oh like every good christmas film absolutely <laughs> yeah so you can be a little bit bleak but you know you can't you can't undercut that american optimism right there's got to be a happy ending yeah yeah which is why i was so uh, pleasantly surprised um we had my niece the last couple of days and so we've just been playing you know whatever christmas stuff is on netflix and one of them was uh like mickey mouse's magical christmas jubilee i, I don't remember what it was mm-hmm. actually called but it does a retelling of the gift of the magi oh, cool. um the the uh, who wrote that oh henry story um yeah. about you know mickey's got his harmonica and Minnie wants to buy him a case for it, and she has this old pocket watch, and he wants to buy her a chain for it, and the gift of the Magi plays out. You know the story, uh, but what I don't remember from the short story is the sort of subplot about how both of them are working for abusive employers who literally take money out of their pockets. Oh, what? Um, yeah, it was great. I, I was so glad to see that uh, Disney of of all corporations is trying to radicalize the kids against their yeah, bosses. Yeah, I mean, if there is if there is any organization that will know about working for an abusive employer, like <laughs> right, right. You, you tell what you know, yeah, you know, you, 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 you know. gotta write what, what you, you know. It's fine. <laughs> well, hey guys, we have touched on. Uh, weird workplace practices. We've talked about environmentalism. We've talked about consumerism. Uh, I think it's time for us to take a quick break and come back and discuss one of the greatest uh, 80s Christmas movies, Gremlins. So we'll be back to talk about that in a minute. Steven Spielberg presents Gremlins. Billy Pelser has a nice home. Billy, is that you? Yeah, Mom, it's me. A nice job. A nice girl. If you're not doing anything this Thursday night, maybe you'd like to uh, go out on a date with me? I'd love to. And loving parents who are about to give him... You're gonna like this. No, 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 don't shake it. We're gonna have to open it now. It won't wait till Christmas. The most unusual gift... (laughs) 
he ever got. What is it? No. It's your new pet. Come on, Barney, be a good dog. My dad gave it to me. But there are a few things to keep in mind. If you expose it to the light, you may hurt it. If you get it wet, it will multiply. All that from water? They got wet? Yeah, plain water. And most important, no matter how much they beg, never, never let them eat after midnight. Because when they do, they change. They become clever, mischievous, here. And dangerous. Gremlins, huh? Little monsters. Right. Hundreds of them. Well, I, I don't know, maybe thousands. They've been here too. Billy, what are these things? Where do they come from? Look, I know it sounds crazy, I know. But in a few hours, you're gonna have a major disaster on your hands. Directed by Joe Dante. They'll be expecting you. All right, so John was just telling us on the break that uh, he he's actually doing a podcast, and they just talked about this movie, but hopefully we can add a little bit more to uh, the discussion of Gremlins. And I want to start off with just what a strange framing device this film uses, where it's like, it's like the record scratch, and it's like, yep, that's me. I bet you're wondering how I got into this situation. <laughs> how I got um, Gremlin. <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, it's it's the the dad character, like the kooky inventor guy um, who frames the movie, and at the end he does the same thing. He's like, well, that's my story, uh, yep. except he's not in the movie. Like, the entire time he's just on the road doing other stuff. He's not involved in the action. Mr. Um, Randall Peltzer, the, the man who gave me a completely false image of what the stereotypical American dad is like. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, um, I, I like you know how everyone is. Rube Goldberg esque machines, are you? <laughs> that was his, a big business family... in, in America in the yeah. 80s. That was a his huge family... industry. The, the his family boom was so was patient. All in gadgets. <laughs> <laughs> His family is so patient with him that he it's doesn't so seem endearing. to be able to like sell any of his inventions because none of them work. But also they're like they're trying to make orange juice with his patented juicer that just covers the entire kitchen in orange pulp. Do you need to um, spackle your kitchen with fruit pulp? Yes, <laughs> yes, the new juicer-matic from Randall Belzer. Right. Well, and you can tell it's the 80s, you know, not only by the wacky inventions – but because of the extreme amounts of Asian racism. <laughs> oh, uh, all sorts yeah. of racism in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, maybe, maybe we should do it. We should do it. Yeah. We should do a quick recap for anybody who slept through the past 30 years. Gremlins is a film uh, about uh, this, this thing called Gizmo. That's like a furry little, um, he kind of looks like a furry Yoda. Uh, He's like a Furby. The, He's, he, he's a, a Furby. He's, he's literally just a Furby. Yeah, totally. Uh, um, voiced by Howie Mandel. Oh, Howie Mandel, which is so weird. Which is, oh, yeah. The skills. The skills of that man. Such oh, the ring. Strange, <laughs> such a strange bit of casting to cast a Howie so, Mandel. I hope there's yeah. behind the scenes of him just being on the mic, being like, what? Oh, it's going to be so great. Right. <laughs> well, he's basically just doing the Bobby's World voice, right? Yeah. Except yeah, just yeah. speaking gibberish. Yeah. So there are these rules about keeping this thing as a pet. 
that if you break them, horrible things happen. And sure enough, they break the rules. Thank you, Corey Feldman, for being in this movie and being the person who fucks everything up for everybody. <laughs> Just like um, in real life. That's what Corey yeah. is for, man. That's what he's for. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I mean, well, and he he started out young too. He's just like the uh, this like twelve year old that the protagonist inexplicably hangs out with, I guess, all the time. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we won't look too closely at that. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, the the gremlins then spawn and they turn into these horrible leathery like reptilian monsters who then. Um, go out through the town and, and wreak havoc. Uh, and it all takes place at Christmas, which is how we're how we're going to tie this back. It's to way Christmassier than Die Hard, too. Ooh, uh, people always are throwing fire. the Die Hard out there, but Gremlins is the true Christmas movie. Die Hard is, like, <laughs> barely a Christmas tree. In Again, I'm not sure it's like Highlander, where there can be only one true Christmas movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, secret Christmas movie. It's Iron Man 3, everybody, the real Christmas movie. <laughs> Yeah, so there's there's a lot going on in this movie. Um, you've got a uh, th- this weird side plot where there's this this horrible old woman who somehow oh, it's Mrs. not really Deagle. explained. Mrs. Deagle. Mrs. Deagle runs the town, and she's this this kind of amalgam oh, she's, of she's like the gentrification committee or whatever. Yeah, right. She's she's <laughs> Ebenezer Scrooge. She's Mr. Potter from uh, It's a Wonderful Life. She's also uh, Miss Gulch from. Uh, the Wizard of Oz. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, in that she just desperately wants to kill the main character's dog. Yeah, Billy. <laughs> Billy, our kind of quintessential American boy. He's got his crappy car and his adorable dog. And like one of the first scenes is Mrs. Deagle finding him at work and listing the graphic ways she wants to m- murder this animal. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So well, she has a strict no dogs policy. You know, to that's microwave the... it, which is just. Like... <laughs> Uh, which, yeah, which which ends up happening later. So the gremlins break out, and uh, I think the unsung hero of the movie Gremlins is Billy's mom, who she's just like the normal housewife, kind of like, okay, dear, that's nice, um, until all of the evil gremlins are in her house, and she goes on an absolute fucking murder rampage. Um, she she chops one of them to death. Yeah, I was going to say, she, like, kitchens up, she, like, throws one in a pot of boiling water or something? Uh, no, yeah, one of them one of them falls into the juicer, and oh, she hits God. the button. And, oh, my God. Uh, and this it's, this it's hilarious so shot of, of these little legs, like, spinning around <laughs> inside the, the juicer, just surrounded by this, like, green-black yeah. ichor. Uh, spraying all over the kitchen, she attacks one of them with a with a carving knife. Uh, one of them does end up in the microwave. Yep. Which, while I was reading about this film, apparently that was one of the big concerns about this film. That between Mrs. Deagle and what happens to one of these gremlins, uh, people were legitimately afraid that kids were going to start putting their pets in the microwave. I mean, it was. Oh, I mean, it looked like it was such a good time. Yeah, I mean, it was. <laughs> The original cut, like, was even more brutal as well. It's like it had gremlins being shot and, like, being beheaded. And, like, huh. so, like, there's one there's one scene, uh, which is worth talking about, where, like, Billy takes one of the uh, spawned gremlins. Because if, if you get them wet, they kind of spawn new ones off their back, right? Yeah, so we, we kind of skipped that part where that is also absolutely horrifying it's when great body it's, horror. like, frog right. spawning out of its, like, 
back and these like boils. It's it's so messed up. So he yeah, that's right. It's like uh, it's it's like uh, the the popping subreddit. All oh of a sudden. god, oh, god. Yeah. <laughs> So he takes one to his science teacher, and the science teacher starts like experimenting on it. Uh, and the science teacher is then found, like, straight up murdered by this grandpa. <laughs> right. He stabs him to death. Well, that was justified, okay? Stabs him to death with a, with a syringe. But, like, in the original version, that teacher was going to be found with his entire face covered in needles. And they took Oh, him. God. And I'm like, yeah, good choice on taking that one out. That's, that's literally a thing that happens in the second Halloween film. <laughs> yeah. Is, oh, my uh, God. Jesus. Yeah. Well, and and poor science teacher, like Billy later goes to the cops who don't believe him, but he doesn't mention that like, oh, you don't believe me. Like, go right. up to the science lab like one like they've already killed. They'll kill again. You know, <laughs> but yeah. continues the tradition of um, cops not only being bad, uh, ACAB in, in American horror, but also being useless at their jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, stinking drunk when he first gets there. In fact, yeah, absolutely. Like the very opening of the film is the cop trying to like talk his way into getting his Christmas tree for free, and one of the townspeople is like, "Hey, I paid for my Christmas tree. You no good scrounger." <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's a uh, well. And Gremlins, Gremlins came out in 1984, right? Which is the same year that Ghostbusters came out. So it came out on the same day. What? Really? Yeah. I, I did not know that. I See, and and that. I was I was I was watching some of the the special effects, and I thought like Sam Winston might have had a hand in this, but then I checked the date, and I was like, oh no, he was working on Ghostbusters that during that time. Uh, but uh, it's it's Jim Henson, I think, right? Isn't it? Uh, it's not. It's, it's, it's not? somebody that I'd never heard of. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's probably um, what's that one guy's name? Tam. Anyway, so <laughs> you had a you had a really you had a really strong uh, thread going in 1984 about uh, oh my god what is happening what is going on <laughs> was that was that Barney was that Barney the dog liquid flannel sorry we uh we we had a, a surprise drop in guest Barney the dog from Gremlins <laughs> decided to make an appearance there just for a minute. Um, Barney, who doesn't get to do anything in the movie except get tied up in a bunch of Christmas lights in a in an also pretty horrifying way. Oh God, yeah! Like she tries because that's another way she tries to kill the poor dog. Mm -hmm. Is like by hanging him from Christmas lights. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's really interesting because uh, like Dad gets home and he's like, "I swear I locked the door." So. It's never actually made explicitly clear whether it was Mrs. Deagle who did that or whether it was the bad gremlins that did it. Uh, and then they just completely drop that plot by yeah, yeah. horrifically murdering Mrs. Deagle later oh, on no, in the film. It's, it's so cathartic. This was something <laughs> This was something that we talked about um, over on Horror Vanguard, which is a new podcast about leftist theory and, and horror films. Uh, hey. Brought to you by yours truly. Uh, we talk <laughs> sorry that was very that was way too slick um, <laughs> so we talked about that like the violence that's dished out to her is like almost like comically cathartic because she's she names all of the cats that live in her house after various forms of money and the gremlins mess with her stair lift so she said <laughs> shooting through a window and it's like yeah kids that's what you do to capitalists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's it's so weird and unearned in the movie because she's set up as this this big time villain and you have the like the 
the the down on her luck mother with the kids there and it's like please mrs deagle just give us a couple more weeks and we'll be able to pay our mortgage and she's like i'm in the business of making money and she's set up as this this big time villain and then they dispatch her the gremlins again like catapult her out of her window (laughs) on her on her chairlift and then nobody ever talks about it ever again. Like, I've, it doesn't seem to have any ramifications for the town. Like, the, you never get the payoff, the, uh, that, that denouement with the, the family going like, well, it is a Christmas miracle. Like, Ebenezer Scrooge is dead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hooray! Uh, but Hark! Yeah, landlords and cops, both very bad, according to this film. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a good message for the kids, right? Maybe not the whole thing about my, maybe putting things into microwaves that don't belong in there, but... Right. <laughs> right. Well, and we skipped over my famous Christmas moment where Phoebe Cates tells the story about her dad, which was another <laughs> thing that they wanted to cut out of the movie. Yeah. And the director was like, absolutely not. It's, this it's is essential this, this to her is, character. Yeah, yeah. This is the only thing that has to be in this movie. Uh, it's the most important scene. You can't cut it. Um, and Steven Spielberg was like, yeah, whatever he says, man, just let's get this thing out the door. Yeah. So, so what's the Phoebe Cates story then, Brennan? So the Phoebe Cates story is like, I don't even know how it comes up, but he's like, Hey, what happened to your dad? He's not around anymore or whatever. And she's like, well, he, no, 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 no. It's not that it's, it's at the beginning of the movie. She's talking, talking she's, she's talking about how much she hates Christmas. Right. And he's like, he's like, what are you Hindu? Uh, which (laughs) Hey! That's not. I don't. I don't think Hindus hate Christmas so much. Uh, it's it's a strange guess on his part, but she won't tell him what it is. Okay, so so then later on in the movie, go on, go on. Yeah, so she's like, I hate Christmas because when I was a kid, my dad loved Christmas so much he wanted to make it a magical Christmas. So he <laughs> dressed up like Santa, and he was gonna crawl in through the chimney and like surprise us with Christmas joy. But he got wedged and suffocated, and I found his frozen corpse the next morning. <laughs> Merry Christmas to me. Yeah, no, and she ends it like a joke. She's like, and that's how I found out there wasn't any Santa Claus. <laughs> the aristocrats. <laughs> hey! yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, speaking of things that are never again addressed in a film. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, by the it, way, it comes maybe, out of, maybe we should talk about this. No, we're too busy. <laughs> nope, nope. It comes out of nowhere. They're like, they're literally in a department store trying to find like yeah. the last of the gremlins after they've blown up the, the movie theater with all of the other ones in there. Because apparently gremlins love Snow White for some reason. Uh, yeah, they love the meat. They love the cinema. They love the cinema. They love popcorn. Yeah. Uh, I find them very relatable on that score. It, exactly. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, it's funny. Um, the The sequel ends pretty much the same way with all of the gremlins gathering in one place for like a big send off or something. So I don't see what the big deal is with the gremlins. Like, let them have their fun. And then they're all just going to gather in one place and you just kill them all in one place. It, it happens every single time. <laughs> yep. Every single time they get they get brutally uh, murdered by some by, uh, you know, good old American hero. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> well this is yeah so go ahead i was just gonna say you know it, you can kind of see the gremlins as like this kind of anarchic uh carnival right you get it released at christmas all of this energy all of this kind of like almost violent levels of celebration there's this great scene where they're all in the irish bar and like they're like drinking like loads of whiskey or they're smoking six cigarettes at a time <laughs> right 
but yeah, you've got the uh, like one of the gremlins is dressed up like uh, what's her ass from Flashdance and is like doing the Flashdance dance. But but like at the end of Christmas, what do you got to do? You got to you've got to nullify all of that like anarchic celebratory libidinal energy, and so you do it by you straight up murder them. <laughs> you blow up the movie theater. It's the only way to be free. <laughs> yeah, the 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 tonal shifts in this movie give you whiplash it's, it's because all over the place, and I love it. It, it. Yeah, oh yeah, it's 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 fantastic that you can go from um, some actually pretty well shot uh, like horror sort of stuff, where like Billy's walking through the dark department store and you can hear the thing moving, uh, oh, but doesn't yeah, quite yeah, know yeah. where it is. Um, followed up by some just inane slapstick, like Gizmo is driving around a. A uh, little remote control car that, for whatever reason, seems to have a fully functional internal combustion engine and brake <laughs> system, and yeah, yeah, it's it's a very strange film. Um, there are some some interesting Christmassy lessons in it. I think. I mean, for one thing, uh, we we already talked about landlords and cops, uh, A B, um, but also there's a at, at the end. When the uh, the incredibly racist coded Asian guy uh, comes to get Gizmo back, he's like, "This is what Western society does with everything good. Like, <laughs> like you 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 can't do anything with nature without fucking it up, can you?" Um, so all of a sudden, you have this strange environmental message. Yeah, and he says, "Like, you're not ready for the responsibility of looking after a mogwai." Uh, which yeah. is what they're called before they turn into gremlins. It's a fable of genetic modification. Yeah. Um, you know, the world isn't ready. China, <laughs> right. get uh, the message. Ma- yeah, Mogwai uh, incidentally means devil in, I think, Mandarin. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys notice that they were all uh, in the same town as uh, Back to the Future? No, what? Yes. <laughs> it's yeah. literally it's the exact same exactly set. The same town. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's amazing. But but that's the cool thing about, you know, it's like this mythic everywhere in America, right? In the American cultural imagination. And so you co-opt a bit of the cultural heritage of China because Randall Peltzer goes into the shop that this the shopkeeper owns and is told, no, you can't buy the Mogwai, they're not for sale. And he just goes, well, how about a couple of hundred bucks then? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So at the end, he turns up and goes, yeah, I shouldn't have done this. You fucked it up. I'm going to take them <laughs> off you now. Well, no, it's worse than that because it's the... Uh, so so you've got the grandfather who runs the shop, but he also has um, basically short round from uh, Indiana Jones <laughs> yeah, and the basically. Temple of Doom as a grandson who is like, my grandpa's being stupid. Like we need the money, so just meet me outside in a couple of minutes. So, yeah. so then you, when bro. when the when the old man shows up at the end, uh, it, dad's like, "Oh, this is the guy I bought the Mogwai from," and he's like, "Yeah, bot is a pretty is doing a lot of work in that sentence." <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's not quite what you did. Was you know you took advantage of someone who's economically disadvantaged and needed the right. money. Right. Well, and also just straight up pillaged it when I wouldn't give it to you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's uh, the the American influence on his family that caused the kid to become, you know, a little bit more of a capitalist and literally destroyed a town, which I don't know. Maybe there's some uh, some cultural revanchism going on there. Yeah, I mean, over at Aura Vanguard, we read it as like the gremlins of the proto-revolutionary <laughs> force. Um, right. 
and destroying this example of bourgeois middle class America, which totally deserves it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, totally. There's uh, the gremlins. The gremlins are so full of meaning because they're basically metaphors for us. So you can project pretty much anything you want onto them, which is what makes them so cool. <laughs> hey, what do you mean by you people? Because there is a, a there there is a, a thread of criticism about this movie that the gremlins are coded as being black in a lot of different ways. Really? Um, yeah, that they're uh, uh, especially in the bar scene where Phoebe Kate is inexplicably just serving the gremlins. <laughs> Instead of running away what like everybody else yeah. is doing. Yeah. What are you supposed to do? She's got to make tips. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Come on, man. There's the no way that they're carrying cash. Be, uh... No way. <laughs> um, but yeah, in, in that scene, you see them. Uh, they're short of smoking cools. Like they are, they're wearing sunglasses inside. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of them are wearing those uh, like newsboy caps, which was very much uh, like the way that black men were presented in culture in the early 1980s. Oh, man, that's, and, that's fascinating. And then I, I, had not, it, I had not thought about that at all. That's really yeah. interesting. So then extending off of that, that basically you have a bunch of invaders that look different and can't be controlled by, uh, like, bougie white society, um, it, it ends up being this really weird parable that doesn't say the things that I think the, the filmmakers were thinking of. That's fascinating because there's a, there's a kind of little minor character in the film called Murray Futterman, who's this guy who like lives next door to Billy and is constantly talking about how, how oh, his car doesn't work because it's foreign made. Because it's foreign, yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> and he's constantly talking Yeah, the, about the notoriously unreliable Volkswagen Beetle, which those things can fucking <laughs> run forever. Are you kidding me? <laughs> right. <laughs> so Mari's like this sort of like, you know, reasonable, reasonable concerns, big inverted commas, white working class man who's obsessed with, you know, American pride and casual xenophobia. So yeah, yeah. So well, and and don't forget that he's he's economically anxious because they make a plot point out of the fact that he's out of work. Oh yeah, yeah, that, totally. That he he lost his job. So yeah, he's he's this weird coded. He, he Murray's definitely a Trump voter. Oh, hundred percent. He would be getting a sympathetic profile in the NYT. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we travel to the small town. To yeah. I think I Gremlins, think... Gremlins cut through my power cord again. <laughs> they, were me- they were messing around with his TV aerial and they tuned it to some like foreign art house movie that he had to watch. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a great scene. Uh, but no, I hadn't, I hadn't uh, come across uh, anything that had read the Gremlins that way. But that does make the film even more interesting, right? And it makes makes their kind of attempts at this kind of like revolutionary violent overthrow of this town uh, more interesting, I think. Yeah, Stripe is basically Killmonger from Black Panther. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, uh, he, Stripe was right. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Stripe was right. We're going to get that going. Yeah. <laughs> But here's the thing, right? He's he's brought down. What what destroys Stripe is not like the triumph of the town against the Gremlins. What destroys Stripe is that counter-revolutionary traitor to the cause, Howie Mandel. Right. Howie Mandel <laughs> brings down the Gremlin Revolution. <laughs> uh, yeah, with a by by opening up a shutter so that the sun can shine in and melt him. Which, uh, given that like racist white people online have decided to adopt people of light. As oh. their their moniker now, <laughs> instead of just white people. Um, yeah, we're we're just we're peeling this back like an onion, you guys. 
Yeah, the sunlight weakness is is a pretty is a pretty big weakness for the gremlins, though. Yeah. Um, that they're pretty vulnerable. I gotta say, you know, they make them out to be like, oh my god, what are we gonna do? And it's like, oh well, as soon as the sun comes up, they all die. So. Well, this is why <laughs> it has to be at Christmas because they're not gonna cope at like in New Mexico, are they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like that vampire Alaska movie or whatever, where it's just always nighttime. Yeah. Otherwise, how are they gonna survive? <laughs> Oh, you you found a mogwai in Australia? No, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's the one horrifying creature that Australia doesn't have. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Howie Mandel is a is a counter revolutionary traitor. Um, solidarity with Comrade Stripe. <laughs> uh, Stripe was right. <laughs> Straight <laughs> hashtag Stripe was right. Uh, there needs to be an organized uh, vanguardist attitude to party building among the gremlins. <laughs> uh, well, it's it's kind of a cult of personality with them, though. He's more of a he's more of a Stalinist than say like an internationalist, right? Because he he does seem to call the shots the whole time, which is strange given that the gremlins throughout the movie are shown as being pretty much self-motivated and kind of self-organizing. Yeah, I, don't know. I don't know if there's like a cult of personality. I mean, he's the he's the kind of vanguardist leader, but they ain't carrying portraits of Comrade Stripe everywhere with them, are they? That's a good point. Although they could have been more successful if they had, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so final thoughts on Gremlins. I, I don't know. It, it's such a mishmash that I think you could easily talk about it for hours. But yeah, the weird um, kind of shoehorned in their environmental message at the end is what really stuck out to me. It's like in a, in a movie that's tonally all over the place, all of a sudden now we're going to talk about how white Western capitalism treats the natural world. It's like, OK, that's a good message. But did they earn it? I'm not sure. I know. I mean, I think there are more interesting messages in it that they don't acknowledge. <laughs> <laughs> but you know. Well, go on. What What are your final thoughts on the on the movie? Uh, I think that you have a kind of a, a degree of responsabilization is put in, right? You know, you have uh, Howie Mandel is sent away to be um, uh, to to is sent away from the family that have kind of coddled him. Um, and he has to face the consequences of his actions, but there is. I, I like how you're just referring to him as Howie Mandel, <laughs> as if it's, this is this is the Howie Mandel story before he like reinvented and became a, a game show host or something. Before he shaved his head. Before he shaved his head. <laughs> um, but yeah, there are interesting things about about it, about kind of like desire and kind of anarchic celebration and the role of the media and the way in which, um, like order reasserts itself often very violently because all those gremlins like the death of stripe is kind of brutal like loads of the other deaths are like played as slapsticky jokes but stripes death is like like gut-wrenching the camera doesn't oh yeah like yeah it's a it's 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 grisly um it's very much uh very much in the vein of the first two indiana jones movies uh which actually uh between Temple of Doom and Gremlins, that's why the MPAA ended up introducing the rating PG-13. Yeah. Whoa. Because both of those films were rated PG originally, and then there were these well, concerns have, about, like... They were like, well, I guess it's not R, so... Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Steve, so in response to the criticisms that this movie is 
actually kind of horrifying at times. Right. Uh, very like H.R. Geiger, especially when they go into their cocoons oh, yeah. and you see like the pulsating like green eggs and yeah. stuff. And you can tell I mean, this movie is essentially is like Ghostbusters. It's like a kid's movie in America, essentially. Like this mm-hmm. is like, oh, it's like a family friendly fun time like Ghostbusters. But man, this is just way more violent in so many ways. But this is the thing. It's weird. It's it's scary. And it, it kind of tries to fit it into this frame of like the schmaltzy, sentimental Christmas. Here's your, <laughs> right. here's, here's your moral, kids. But like, yep. there's there's kind of weirder and darker yeah. and more radical stuff happening. If you well, just kind of I like mean, scratch... Stripe is, is he's like a Jesus-like figure. You know, he sacrificed himself <laughs> Gremlin uh, you know, to expose the wickedness <laughs> of his oppressors. Uh, yeah, a martyr for the cause of Gremlin uh, freedom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting a poster, you guys, seriously. I'm gonna put up a just just a big picture of big picture of Stripe in my room. He died for our sins. Um, yeah, it's a uh, it's 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 one of those movies where it kind of holds up a little bit, you know. Yeah, the the practical good. effects, especially, They're still so um, good. Did you did you read that they uh, they originally thought they tried to put uh, costumes on monkeys? What for the gremlins? <laughs> And they were like, let's just see how this works. And it did work as well as they hoped. I, I am praying that there is, like, B-roll footage of them. Oh, yeah, I want to see that, <laughs> that test, test footage is somewhere out there, yeah. <laughs> that sounds incredible. Uh, that's amazing. Brendan, you will have to atone for saying that Gremlins is more of a Christmas film than uh, Die Hard at some point. <laughs> you can't let that How slide. many people get strangled with uh, Christmas lights in, in Die Hard? Um, okay, that's a, that's a fair point. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, yeah, the, the Gremlins, it, it, it's kind of interesting that they go back and forth between uh, sort of like merry anarchy and straight up just murdering people on yeah. purpose. The, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, totally. Yeah, syringe uh, science teacher trying to strangle Billy's mom with the Christmas lights, uh, possibly trying to murder the dog also. Throwing um, Mrs. <clears throat> uh, Deagle through a window. Sure. Uh, ah, she had it coming though. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, Murray <laughs> Futterman gets his snowplow, his truck uh, totaled by them. <laughs> yeah, they like cut his brakes or something. Yeah. That's oh yeah, no, up. no. They who they cut the brakes of is the cops who <laughs> their car flips <laughs> over, and then you never see them again. So, so like, it's possible are, they these just are died. Insurrectionists, right? I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. This isn't a stretch. It is barely subtext that these are illegalists. These are insurrectionists. <laughs> yeah. Do they play fight the power at any point? It was a missed opportunity <laughs> to get that crossover in there. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we should leave that there. Uh, hashtag Stripe was right. John, thank you so much for talking about horror and Christmas with us. This is going to be a, a great little gift, a, a little... Uh, uh, Christmas Eve gift for our listeners, I think. Oh, thank you so much for having me back on the pod. It was a lot of fun. Uh, any any old time. Yeah, you have you have a new project which you plugged already, but okay. Uh, I guess we'll <laughs> I guess we'll let you do it again. So uh, yeah, me and a comrade of mine have started just what the left needed, which was a new podcast. Uh, this one is dedicated to uh, talking about leftist theory and horror film. It is called Horror Vanguard. You can find us on SoundCloud and all other good podcast aggregators and distributors. Follow us on Twitter at Horror Vanguard as well. 
Now that you're doing Horror Vanguard, how do you think our, our episode about uh, Marxism and, and horror movies from Halloween holds up? Oh man, this is this is uh, it's one of the things that kind of motivated me to do it when I was like, there's a hell of, oh. there's a hell of a lot to say here. We need ten percent. Give us ten yeah. percent of it. Ten percent of that ad revenue money of yeah. sweet <laughs> FA. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure, uh, Brendan. Thank you for making the time on a Sunday to to record. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, I went and saw uh, Into the Spider Verse, which was which was pretty great. Um, not a Christmas movie, but a movie that you should see for Christmas time. Nice. Have you been Have you been live tweeting it? I should. Well, you know, it's very new. I don't want to do the spoilers, mm. and uh, it's a uh, it, it goes places for sure. <laughs> um, but it was fun. But yeah, keep up uh, keep up with what I'm tweeting about at Brendan Williams on the Twitter. How about you guys? Uh, yeah, of course, I'm Matthew Hodges. You can find me on Twitter at MattTheGweight. And follow the show at Liquid underscore Flannel. Um, man, and of course, John, it's just, just a delight yeah. to have you back on. We're, we're so glad to have a, a resident horror uh, socialist scholar. Anytime you want me to come back on, talk something at spooky and radical, you know I'm that. Hell yeah. Well, it's been a treat. Uh, thanks, audience. Hope you all have a very Merry Christmas or however you celebrate, whether it's uh, opening presents or launching your landlord out a window. <laughs> Microwaving a turkey, you know, who's to say? <laughs> Merry Christmas, y'all. <laughs>